in that vulnerability that, that my friend was showing, I was then able to say, well, actually, that's what I want to. But I was sort of scared to say it because um, I thought that might be pushing too hard or something. Welcome to The Recovery Show. This is episode number 41. We are continuing our experiment with recording life. If you are online now, you will hear the raw, unedited form of this episode and will be able to interact with us live in the chat room. Leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795 or use the voicemail button on the website and we'll add your voice to the conversation. If you're listening later, check the website for the time of the next recording and join us then. This episode is brought to you by Jonathan. Jonathan used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Jonathan, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Do you fear that being vulnerable with your loved ones will be perceived as a sign of weakness? Do you tend to avoid discussing your own feelings? Do you try to cover up your flaws? Do you often take other people's inventory? Brene Brown says, vulnerability is our most accurate measure of courage. What do you think about this? Do you gain trust when someone else is vulnerable? Stick with us as we talk about vulnerability. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of vulnerability. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Swetha, and I'll be your host today. Joining me is co-host Kelly. How are you, Kelly? Good morning, Swetha. I'm good. Thanks. And next to Kelly is co-host Spencer. How are you, Spencer? Well, I'm still coming down off a cold. You may hear me sniffing and coughing in the background. (laughs) Keep that to the minimum. I think it's going to be in stereo. (laughs) Well, that was me last week, but not this week. All right. This first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic vulnerability. Following our musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives. We will follow that with an email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. Uh, Today, instead of doing a reading, we're going to play a Brene Brown clip from an interview with Brene Brown on the On Being radio show and podcast. Here it is. Here's a statement you make. Vulnerability is the core, the heart, the center of meaningful human experience. So explain that sentence to me. Vulnerability, I think, you know, when I ask people, what is vulnerability? The answers were things like sitting with my wife who has stage three breast cancer and trying to make plans for our children. My first date after my divorce. Saying I love you first. Asking for a raise. You know, sending my child to school being enthusiastic and supportive of him and knowing how excited he is about orchestra tryouts and how much he wants to make first chair and encouraging him and supporting him and knowing that's not going to happen. To me, vulnerability is courage. It's about the willingness to show up and be seen in our lives. And in those moments when we show up, I think those are the most powerful meaning-making moments of our lives. Well, that was the Brene Brown clip, and uh, as I said, my name is Swetha, and let's let's go ahead and talk about vulnerability. So first, let's talk about the question that was presented in that clip. 
What is vulnerability? Who'd like to field that first? Hey, well, I'm going to start out with this definition that you so conveniently posted it, pasted into the script. That was me. That was <laughs> yeah, well, it's you. Like I, I, I feel like every week that's the, <laughs> that's what happens. It's always Kelly Spencer. <laughs> I'm going to start with this definition that somebody so conveniently pasted into the script. <laughs> Yeah, so vulnerability, or vulnerable, actually, is this adjective, susceptible to physical or emotional injury, susceptible to attack, open to censure or criticism, assailable. So negative. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing about vulnerability is that when we make ourselves vulnerable, we do open ourselves up to criticism, we open ourselves up to injury, we open ourselves up to attack. And what I hear Brene Brown saying there is that when we do that, we are also being courageous. And it's been my experience that if I close myself down so that I'm not vulnerable, if I sort of, you know, hunker down and, and close myself up and, and hide my real self from, from everybody else so that I'm not open to criticism or attack or injury, emotional or, or physical injury. And, and I think mostly we're talking about emotional or spiritual here that I also miss out on a lot because in the process of shutting you out from my insides or in the process of hiding my insides from you, I'm shutting you out from me. Well, since he's read the definition, Kelly, <laughs> what about you? What do you think? Uh, what do you think vulnerability is? You know, I did. I did find it interesting the contrast between the definition that was pasted in there and and the, what Brene Brown had to say. Mm -hmm. um, because my interpretation—I don't know if it's meant that way—but my interpretation of this dictionary definition is mm -hmm. that it is a really negative thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the terms that they used to describe it were very negative, and she sort of put this positive spin on it and um spencer when you were talking i i feel like almost i almost wanted to say that the the opposite of i don't know if this makes sense or not but the opposite of of Be courage yeah i know right <laughs> the opposite of courage is fear and you know for me i'm stuck in fear either way i'm stuck in fear when i am vulnerable and i'm stuck in fear when i'm not willing to be vulnerable. Mm. And um, I feel like that's a really tricky place to navigate because what I'm learning through the program is that vulnerability is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm fighting against 30 some odd years of the opposite perspective of that. Um, so either way, I'm afraid. You know, I'm af I'm afraid to go for it and I'm afraid to not do it. And I don't, I don't know how to get around that. <laughs> kind of stuck. Keep doing it. Keep guess, coming yeah. back. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. I totally get what you were saying, Kelly, that that there's such a, a negative definition. Well, for me, I understand it as negative. Um, I mean, if I went to the program and someone was like, well, why don't you go ahead and be susceptible to physical or emotional injury? I'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> no, that's not happening. Um, but I think, I think vulnerability for me also has to do, I mean, Brene Brown talked about a few different things uh, in her podcast, uh, situations where people felt they were vulnerable. Um, and yeah, I think that vulnerability is a very 
personal thing and uh, and can be very, very painful. Like, I mean, for example, um, if Spencer turned to me and said, Swetha, you're wearing a red shirt today, which I don't think I am. I'm pretty, pretty solid in the understanding that I am not, in fact, wearing a red shirt. So he could say it 50 times and it wouldn't, wouldn't hurt my feelings. But I don't know if he said something like... Um, Swetha, you are extremely sick, and I don't know why we invite you onto this podcast. <laughs> that I would probably be like, oh my god, I'm gonna need to go home and sit down and process that for a little <laughs> while. So I, I think vulnerability is a little bit more about our personal triggers, um, and and being vulnerable can be good uh, for me because when I'm honest about these things that are really painful or scary. Um, I'm giving my child, myself an opportunity to realize that it's not going to be the end of the world if someone has uh, an opinion different from mine, even if it's about something incredibly painful. Um, but it is scary. It's always scary. Um, being in that much, being in that much pain over something and then having someone poke at it. It's like someone literally pouring salt and, and lemon juice and maybe some highly concentrated sulfuric acid in a wound. <laughs> and, um, I just take it to that next level, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, and and that's I think that's vulnerability is just being able to be present for myself and show up for myself and other people, even when it's insanely scary. Uh, because, like you were mentioning, uh, I'm fighting against decades of real of learning that being vulnerable, being in any way perceived as quote unquote weak, mm. is the worst idea ever. Because that that's like it's like um, uh, dropping uh, some blood in a tank full of hungry sharks. It's a terrible plan. Um. <laughs> That's a horrible analogy. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what I thought before I came in. Okay, susceptible to physical okay. or emotional injury, says the dictionary. <laughs> this was just some visualization <laughs> of that. <laughs> you know, Swetha, I, th I thought you brought up a really good point, though. Just for the benefit of our, of our listeners, part of the reason that we used the Brene Brown clip is that in the six Al-Anon pieces of literature that I own, I couldn't find a single reading on vulnerability and being vulnerable. And, um, you know, I, I think like you said, if when I first came to the program, if somebody had told me that I, I had to be vulnerable, I wouldn't have stayed, <laughs> you know, and I, I think a lot of us have experienced a lot of emotional and physical harm prior to the coming to the mm -hmm. program. And so that's not an area that very many people, I think, initially in the beginning are prepared to deal with. <laughs> yeah. um, it's definitely something that I've had to work up to. So, yeah. Well, Kelly, earlier I heard you say that you're trying to learn that being vulnerable is good. And so we kind of talked about it a little, but why do you think it's, why do you think it's good? Why is it important? Why can't we just live, um, kind of like Spencer was mentioning, away from people, isolated, not really, not really available to criticism or opinions or sounds or sights or anything? I feel like you're secretly asking me to co-sign your bullshit I am, right there, actually. <laughs> Well played, <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> Checkmate. You know, I I think Spencer made a great point when he said that when we choose to not be vulnerable, mm -hmm. we we miss out on a lot of opportunities. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's just like anything else for me is I, I have to find the gray area because before I came to the program, vulnerability was not something that I was familiar with. 
period. Um, and so, you know, sometimes what happens is when, when I learn this new tool, it's like I have this thought of like, oh, I just have to use it everywhere and I have to do it all the time <laughs> and um, kind of go to the extreme opposite. Or, you know, I'm kind of thinking like in my in my earlier years, you know, I, I really didn't, I had like two, maybe three close, really close friends and they knew everything about me and everybody else knew nothing about me. So, you know, kind of like that black or white thinking, like I can only trust this small subsect of the population, everyone else, you get nothing, you get this wall, you know. And um, so, so what did I miss out on there? You know, what opportunities, what friendships, what, um, what did I miss out on by not allowing myself to open up just a little bit? Um, so, and, you know, for me also, I feel like it's one of those things that I really can see <laughs> Spencer, you're gonna like this. I can I can see it in action, right? So uh, so I talk all the time about this idea that I hate sharing, right? But then I see people in meetings share really honestly and openly about something they're really struggling with, and then like five people come up to them after the meeting and f- ask them to be their sponsor, or they want to talk to them, or they say, "Hey, you know, can we get together? I can really relate to what you said." Um, and so I feel like I can see that visible benefit. And, it, you know, it, it does happen to me from time to time, but really more so just on a sponsorship level. Mm-hmm. And it's more on that one-on-one experience. So, you know, when when I share or when someone shares something with me and I am able to maintain their trust by not taking that information to someone else or um, by not telling them what to do by allowing them to figure out their own solution. And and then they'll come back to me and say, like, in so many words, thank you for allowing me to be vulnerable with that information and, and that knowing that I can trust you with that. So I can see those little benefits through other people. The part I'm struggling with is on my side of the street. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts for that to add to that, Spencer? Ruth commented in the, uh, in the chat room, uh, she says, and I think this is about why do you want to be vulnerable? She says, because it makes you able to get in touch with each other and people don't think you're real otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I think that also, that goes along with this sort of, you know, I close myself off. I only show a little part of myself and, and, you know, you don't see the real me. You don't think I'm a real person maybe, um, or you don't connect anyway. And, mm-hmm. So what does being vulnerable do for me? Is that the question? That yeah, why is it good? Here? Why yeah. is it good? Yeah. <clears throat> Which kind of the same question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so one of the things that I have seen over the over the years in a number of different settings, and I think the first place I really practiced it was probably in the rooms of Al-Anon. Mm-hmm. Aside from those late night Greyhound bus rides as a teenager. Where oh yeah, you have those conversations with the stranger in the next seat, and you can't really see each other, and you just talk about whatever because it's safe because you're never going to see each other again. Mm-hmm. You don't really know who who you are. Greyhound confessional. Yeah. Um, aside from that, what I what I have found is that when other people open themselves up to me, mm. it increases my trust in them, mm. and 
so I have to believe that conversely, when I open myself up to somebody else, it increases their trust in me. And when that happens, when we're able to connect at a more real level, then that comes back to me in, in, um, you know, in friendship, or it comes back to me in uh, a deeper understanding. It comes back in knowing that I'm not alone. You know, when I went to my first Al-Anon meeting, the main thing I came away from that meeting was a, a, a sort of two things. One, that I was not alone. And that the examples of open and honest sharing that I heard in that meeting, and I really don't remember the details of what anybody said, but I knew that I came out of there knowing that these people understood what was going on in my life. And 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 they didn't give that to me by saying, yeah, I know what's going on in your life. <laughs> Okay. They never said that to me. What they said was, this is what's going on in my life. Mm -hmm. And because they were open and honest and vulnerable, I could connect with that. Mm -hmm. And I could come away knowing that there was a place I could go where I could find some help with the crap that was going on in my life, with the way I was feeling and, and all that. So I guess what I'm saying is that usually the the result of being vulnerable is not something immediate. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not a, um, it's not a quick fix. It's not an immediate gratification, uh, but it pays back over the long run. Mm -hmm. In my experience, it pays back in the long run so much more deeply and much more completely than mm -hmm. I could, I think I could ever have expected. I had one of those experiences on Sunday. We had a, a first step, table at the Sunday night <clears throat> meeting, we had a couple of newcomers and I told a little bit of my story. What happened was that my being honest about what had happened in my life and the way I had felt at a particular point in my story, another person at the table really connected with that. And it was not one of the newcomers, it's somebody who'd been there for a while. But I could see as I was talking that you know, this person was reaching for the Kleenex and the tears were welling up. And and afterwards, um, the person came up to me and said, wow, that is exactly where I am right now. Uh, thank you so much. And, you know, that's not a direct benefit to me. It, may, it makes me feel good that I was able to maybe give a little bit of help, a little bit of hope. Mm -hmm. um, but... It strengthens the whole group, and, you know, I know that I'll get it back someday. I know that somebody will say something that will be exactly what I need to hear that day. And Kelly, when you were mentioning that you had three really close friends that knew everything about you and everyone else knew nothing, mm -hmm. um, I didn't do that. I played my odds, actually, <laughs> instead, and I would let everyone know a little bit about me, but it would be oh. something that I know that person would could give two craps about like it hadn't like somebody that was failing out of high school i would be like oh well i gotta be on my exam and i feel so ashamed as opposed to like my uh friends who were like valedictorian or whatever and then i would be i wouldn't tell them they would never know but right. you know that sort of thing so i thought that was like that was safe it was exhausting trying to remember who knew what right <laughs> i had a lot of friends um but uh 
yeah, it was, I, I really like, I was, I was thinking as you were talking, I was like, well, no, I, I got that. I got, I got the benefits of all people's friendships. I'm good. But then I, I heard the connection piece and it really like kind of clicked what I think you and Spencer and Ruth were all saying about, about really being connected um, to another person through vulnerability. And uh, I, I think for the, the first time I was ever like really honest and vulnerable, like completely vulnerable with someone was when I was doing my fifth step and with my sponsor. And that was so, so scary. And I still tried to kind of play my odds there. I think I mentioned this in the sponsorship episode, but I was like, I'm going to tell her this thing. And if she's not running away or giving me weird faces, I'll tell her the next big thing. And I had it like organized and levels of, well, vulnerability, <laughs> increasing vulnerability as I went down the list. And I glanced up every time as I was saying whatever it was I was saying. I think the vulnerability comes in a lot of ways. In in the program, it's, I think, in, when we share our experiences and have a room full of strangers, just listen. <laughs> That's really scary. But for me, sometimes I also uh, let myself be vulnerable when I set boundaries and then re-engage with the person hmm. and and allow whatever is going to happen to happen and that's uh that's something i'm going to be doing tonight and i am really really scared and scared to do it and scared not to do it um but yeah some of those uh, in the hardest thing the hardest way for me to express my vulnerability is saying i feel sad or disappointed or and saying i need even something like i need a hug or i need support super crazy scary Mm -hmm. um I remember a few months ago, I was uh, setting a boundary with uh, a loved one, and it was really scary for me. And I, I was I was gearing up to ask Spencer for a hug, and I had to like tell him this whole story to explain why the hug was needed before just saying, "Can I have a hug?" And at the end of it, he was like, "Oh, you need a hug? Yeah, sure, bring it in." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, are you, are you sure? Are you sure?" But that's 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 how it is. I like have to logic it out so that when they reject me, they're rejecting the logic, not really me, you know, not really my feelings. And um, we're, if now I'm working up to saying things just like, hey, I'm feeling really sad, don't really want to talk about it, could I just have a hug? Or could I have a support? Or um, whatever, whatever it is. And that's so crazy. It's way scarier than sharing in front of a room full of strangers, one-on-one with a person you love saying, I feel, I need. Oh, holy crap. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Thank God they didn't tell me that on my first date of meeting. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> but what are what are some of the ways that you guys um, exhibit vulnerability in your day to day life? You know that's that's a good one, Swetha. Actually, um, the uh, the fear of rejection mm. is is a big one for me. That if I feel like feel like I need a hug, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to pick somebody that I'm pretty sure is going to give me a hug. <laughs> you know? um, Playing the odds. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. Playing the odds. Formulas. Uh, I was thinking about, I was thinking about the ways in which I've made myself vulnerable sort of in my personal life. And, you know, the first time with somebody saying, I love you, mm-hmm. there's huge vulnerability there. Are they going to laugh? Mm-hmm. Are they going to say, well, that's not how I feel. Mm-hmm. Are they going to say, go away? But the payoff, the potential payoff from that is huge. Mm-hmm. And that's, 
that's why we do it, right? That because we want that deeper connection, we want something more than just dating or whatever it is. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it been a while for me, but <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, Ruth, again, in the chat room. Thank you, Ruth. She says, sometimes when I talk in front of people who are not in Al-Anon, like students from a nursery school, and I know that if I don't talk about myself, if I'm not open and honest, then I miss the opportunity to let people know uh, what being affected by alcoholism is like. And she says it needed some courage, but I recognized that it was worth it. Hmm. And to one of us, she said, that's so brave. Thanks for telling. I'm not sure which, which of us that was. It was a couple of minutes ago. So we can all say, oh, we're so brave. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where the courage comes in, isn't it? <sighs> And I forgot what the rest of the question was, so I'm going to pass to Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> what ways are you vulnerable in a day-to-day, -day, on a day-to-day -day basis? Hmm. Oh, man. I'm having a hard time coming up with that. <laughs> well, you do the podcast. That's vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think a lot of, I could relate to a lot of what you said, Swetha. You know, being, uh, trying to set boundaries. Mm -hmm in relationships with people that I really care about, it's tricky. And it kind of ties into what Spencer was saying about the, the rejection piece. You know, if I say this thing that I need and they don't want to do it, then I put myself out there for nothing, mm. you know, or I made the situation worse, right? right? Like, yes, it sucks now, but it could be worse. So I might as well just stay in the <laughs> safety zone, right? Um, yep. So... Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I have a, a boundary that I've been continually trying to set with my partner and it keeps, it keeps getting ignored, pushed back, moved around, <laughs> <laughs> now a wavy line instead of a straight <laughs> line. And when I talk to my sponsor about it, it's like no problem. I can clearly say to her, this is the deal. This is how I feel. This is what I want to change. This is what I know is in my hula hoop. I mean, I sent her this email the other day, and it was like, you couldn't possibly misunderstand anything in this email. It was clear, concise, to the point. But when I sit down with my partner, it's like a totally different conversation. I mean, it's I get super easily waylaid, and I can't say the same things. You know, it's this kind of fear of... Um, uh, what if I, what if I say that I need this thing and he's not capable of it? Then what does that mean for the relationship? Mm. You know, that's a whole nother situation. Um, what if he just says, no, I'm not interested in doing that. Then I have, then I have a tough decision to make. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so that is, that piece is really tough. Um, and also the going first piece is something else that I struggle with and not even saying I love you. You know, um, somebody that I met recently in the program asked me to go for coffee a couple weeks ago and I didn't want to be the first one to say something not surface. You know, like I had to let the other person go first and say something to let their guard down. 
And then it was like, okay, it was a safe space for me to say something because I knew where they were at. I could meet them at that place. I could understand where they were coming from. But if they hadn't brought it up, Mm -hmm. we just would have talked about day-to-day stuff the whole time (laughs) and gone home. Like, I just don't... um, Yeah. Wow, preach it, Kelly. Not very good examples, I'm sorry. No, those are great examples. Those are perfect. Um, Yeah, I I totally, completely relate. And actually, especially around the boundary-setting part, like, I remember um talking to you about some boundaries i wanted to set with uh with uh, with a person i know and uh and like showing like reading out the email i wanted to send and it was like so totally clear and completely concise and i was like this is no problem this is totally obvious no problem and it was just an email that i was sending this person and then i sent it and uh and then i got a response back and i like i couldn't read it all at once i was like confused i had to read it piece by piece because Mm -hmm. every sentence in i would like get confused and i'd have to go back and read my email again like okay no okay i get what i was where i was coming from like you know it was and i can't imagine doing that face to face so kudos (laughs) kelly holy crap (laughs) but i think also it's that with that email it's so easy when i'm interacting with other people when i'm scared my default is always to like um, especially when I'm setting boundaries, my default is always, they must be right. My default is always, I must have some screwy thinking going on. Um, even if the person is in the throes of addiction, I'm always the one that's like, man, something must be wrong in my head. This, this drunk is probably totally, completely right about everything. <laughs> and, um, and that's, that's like, that's my fear. And I think that, um, even when I'm setting boundaries with someone that's totally, um, totally sober, been in a program for like decades, whatever it is, um, my fear is all, I'm always my, when I'm scared, I turn the other person into my higher power. Mm. Like, that's my instinctive response. And which is part of the reason why I send it as an email so that I can take the space I need as I go when I'm processing responses, as opposed to being like, oh my God, they're speaking the truth of God right now this is it this is the absolute and one and only truth and um and for me the fears around vulnerability are in turning our interaction my interactions with the other person into my higher power like the responses or whatever and it's easy to talk to like you or spencer or whomever about setting a boundary because it's not you i'm setting a boundary with and you guys aren't going to come back with well nah. And it just sounds like the most profound argument to hear nah <laughs> from them. <laughs> yeah. And so, so then I, you know, it's not that I don't feel pain when I'm vulnerable now and things like that, but I think the program has kind of helped me separate, you know, when I'm turning the person or the interaction into my higher power and, uh, and versus just being in touch with my fear and doing it anyway mm-hmm. through, you know, through inventorying situations, through having people to call and things like that. How do you guys do it? How do you, how's the program, how's how's the program helped you be more vulnerable or be open to being more vulnerable or being open to considering potentially one day being vulnerable? I think one of the ways in which the program has helped me is that in the process of, of doing the steps, I've come to know myself better and to be more cognizant of maybe how 
how I'm acting and reacting in a situation, or at least able to be. But the other, I mean, just in terms of vulnerability, the uh, the experience of of being in meeting after meeting after meeting and talking about and hearing other people talk about stuff that's that's going on in their lives that they might not even share with their closest friend. Um, and, you know, as, as Ruth said here, she says, you know, each time you succeed in being vulnerable, you gain a little more self-esteem. And each time it doesn't mm-hmm. go like you want it to, you realize that you didn't die from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that you can handle it. But it's still it's still not always easy, and and I think back to an experience I had a few months ago where um, a friend a friend of mine was setting some boundaries, and I sort of overreacted and said, "Well, if you're going to set a boundary there, I'll set a boundary way the hell over here, <laughs> okay? And that way, I'm never going to step over your boundary because my boundary's so far away from your boundary. <laughs> my boundary's higher and than your boundary." <laughs> And I don't know if I really realized that that's what I was doing. And mm-hmm. and luckily, my friend came back and said, you're crazy. <laughs> no, actually, it wasn't you're crazy. It was, that's very black and white of you, mm-hmm. black and white thinking. And, you know, the program had given me the tools that I could, I could look at that and say, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, but the other thing that happened in that interaction was that my friend said, you know, that's, that's not what I want our friendship to be. You know, this is what I want. And so in that vulnerability that, that my friend was showing, I was then able to say, well, actually that's what I want too. But I was sort of scared to say it because, um, I thought that might be pushing too hard or something. (laughs) So there was a case where somebody else being vulnerable with me then gave me permission to be vulnerable and to, and to say what I really wanted. Mm. Mm-hmm. rather than what I thought they wanted me to say. Yeah. What about you, Kelly? How does how's the program helped you? So I actually wanted to read an email from Ruth. And it says, Hey, and good morning, Kelly Swetha Spencer. When I think of vulnerability, the next thing I think of is trust. There may be some situations when I have no choice to show my vulnerability, but more often it is a matter of choice. When I choose to show my vulnerability, I have to have trust. I trust the other person, I trust myself, my higher power or the process, or just that everything would work out or that I can at least deal with it. It reminds me of those trust games at team events. You have to close your eyes and let yourself fall backwards for another person to catch you before you hit the ground. I think this is supposed to build up trust between the team members. For me, it never works. If I couldn't avoid it and had to attend, and it was my turn to fall, I just thought, it wouldn't be too bad if I hit the floor. (laughs) Wounds on the head will bleed, but some stitches will fix it. I never trusted the other person, and I just wasn't afraid of the consequences of falling on the floor. (laughs) I was more afraid of what would happen if I refused to take part in the game, or what would happen if I openly said... I won't let you people get close to me. Mm. That reminds me of another situation which makes me feel odd. Sometimes when I cry, people tend to get close and lay their arm around me. And I really can't stand that. It makes me feel even weaker. Why do people think they can do that? Often I had the feeling that they just wanted to make my emotions go away and wanted to stop my crying because they can't stand it. 
I was so lucky to find out that in Al-Anon meetings, when I eventually start crying, someone would just hand me a handkerchief and then just give me time to regain my ability to talk and express myself. That's something which I have only experienced with one other friend before. So time after time, I've learned a few different things. It's okay to cry and show my vulnerability. It doesn't mean that I am simply weak. But even more important, I come to know that I need to let other people see some vulnerability to get close with me and build up a mutual connection. Showing just a smiling face isolates me. I'm not ready to be that open everywhere and every time, but there is a, pro a progress and the results are promising and that gives me courage to change. As Spencer said, you are bearing your souls every week and when you are, theoretically, I often think, oh, what wisdom. If you didn't also share your lovable slips to which I could most strongly identify with, it would just leave me feeling daunted. Thank you very much. And uh, I think that's maybe why Ruth <clears throat> likes to listen to the live version, because Spencer can't edit out the slips at that point. <laughs> I don't edit out slips so much. <clears throat> but what I liked about what Ruth had to say was this piece of trust. Um, you know, I, I've never had to experience one of those team-building exercises, thank God. <laughs> but... Um, but I, 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 I feel like I would have had a similar feeling. Like, I don't, I don't know you. How do I know that you're going to catch me back there? Um, and, and so kind of in conjunction with what Spencer was saying, you know, working the program, working through the steps, getting a sponsor, getting a sponsor, absolutely hands down, was the first vulnerable thing that I did in the program. Um, you know, letting that guard down, telling somebody that I needed help, asking them to be there for me knowing that I might get rejection from their response. You know, that it was, a, it was a really tough thing. And I know a lot of people struggle with asking for sponsorship, but, but especially doing that fourth and fifth step. Um, it's, it's a really intimate process to sit down with somebody and tell them everything that you, that makes you feel bad about yourself, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and kind of like you were saying, Swetha, to, to like, you know, you're reading this list and you're kind of glancing up just to like see what their reaction is. Like, uh, what does their face look like? Are they, are they panicking yet? Are they getting ready to run away? Oh, <laughs> and, you know, when, when my first sponsor didn't react negatively to any of that stuff, she would just nod and smile. And sometimes she would say, yeah, I've, I've done that too. Or I can relate to that. It was, it was a really freeing feeling to know that someone who had once been a complete stranger was someone that I could trust. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, like I said, it's, it's a gradual process. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not at that place with everybody yet, but I'm working to get there. And, um, you know, one of, one of our questions in here is, um, does others' vulnerability increase your trust in them? <clears throat> and for me, that's really true. You know, when I would share something about myself, my sponsor would come back with some sort of response of like, you know, like I just said, like, oh, yeah, I've been there. Or I totally know what you're saying. Or I, I did that once. Or I understand. And that helped me to feel like it was okay to share that stuff, that I wasn't going to get this sort of fear-based reaction or, or craziness. And, um, and so kind of what I was saying, what I was saying earlier about the other person going first, 
you know, I feel like that's where most of my uh, intimate, and when I say intimate, I don't mean romantic, I mean vulnerable-based <laughs> relationships today have started with the other person going first, you know, with them putting themselves out there and, and allowing them, allowing me to meet them where they're at, um, sort of a way for me to kind of practice being vulnerable when they've set that safe space for me. Mm. And, um, yeah, it kind of opens the door. I remember when my, uh, when I was doing my fifth step, my sponsor said the word, oh, like one time, just once. And it just like was seared in my mind. Because, oh. Yeah, I, I heard the word, oh. <laughs> and I remember like, like the, for a second pausing being like, wait, oh, good. Oh, bad. Oh, that's interesting. Or, oh, my God, this girl is insane. Or, oh, I need to figure out a way to get out of here. Like I was like interpreting a single syllable of two letters in like 50 different ways in a matter of like a minute. And um, then I was thinking, okay. Let's just go back to step three. Let go and let God. <laughs> let go and let God. I just kept going through the fourth step. And I think I went home and like talked to my significant other and I was like, she said, oh, what do you think that means? And he was like, I don't know. <laughs> you finished your fifth step. Don't you have another step to work on? <laughs> it was, it's really good to have, I think, a partner in recovery <laughs> to call you on that. But um, speaking of uh, recovery and vulnerability. I think there was also a voicemail. Yes, we have a voicemail from uh, Christina. This is uh, Christina, and I'm a grateful member for the last uh, five years. I love your podcast. I listen all the time to every new episode, and I read uh, the blog all the time. Uh, and I was inspired to share about vulnerability. Um, I got a divorce uh, in 2012 from my original qualifier uh, after trying to make the marriage worked for 11 years, and that was, you know, obviously incredibly difficult, but I got through it with the help of my Al-Anon sponsor and community. Um, and in the last uh, couple of years, um, getting back into dating has been very um, interesting, and one of the things that, um, one of the things that I experienced was being very unwilling to open myself up to anybody else. Uh, I needed the time to heal, and I really just kind of regarded dating as practice, um, getting back on the horse. And um, it, recently, um, in the last, um, you know, well, in the last, within the last six months, um, I shifted my perspective and um, began to really trust my higher power um, with my, um, with my relationship future and, um, ha it really handed things over and this felt okay on my own and, um, met somebody great, uh, in which, uh, whom, with whom I decided, um, with the, the help of my higher power to, um, act as if, act as if, um, this person could be trusted, act as if I would be okay if I opened myself up and, you know, really took that plunge. And I, I do think that vulnerability takes a ton of courage. It's frightening. It's very frightening. And I'm one of those Al-Anons who relates to Swetha very much about, you know, I, I never I never want to need help from anybody. I never want to ask for help. I want to be perfect. I want to be okay. And um, being vulnerable is um, goes against all of that. So um, I just want to say that, you know, I it, it's given me wonderful rewards. I'm in love again and um, with somebody who actually deserves my trust and love, and it felt very higher power guided 
and um, I'm very glad that I trusted that, you know, by acting as if um, and by trusting my higher power that I would be okay, that I, I am okay today. Thanks. Thanks, Christina. That was very uh, vulnerable of you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, as I think I was just talking about um, making a new friendship, that I wanted to be more than, you know, just somebody that maybe I went out and had a drink with occasionally or watched a ball game with or, or, or played cards with. Um, was a, There was a lot of vulnerability for me in that, in that situation that it was difficult to, because I hadn't done something like that, I think in so long, you know, um, I was trying to, um, recently thinking back to when was the last time that, that I had a friend that I felt I could share anything with who was not, you know, my spouse. It was 30 some years ago. Um, it was actually the person that I met my wife through. Um, so it was more than 30 years ago since we've been together for 33 years now. Um, that I don't know if I hadn't had the need for that or if I didn't know how to do it or if I didn't know that I wanted to do it. I don't, I don't really know. So it was, it was sort of like dating <laughs> in a very real sense. Uh, you know, how much can I share with this person now? Am I pushing too hard? Am I, am I saying too much? Am I not saying enough? Um, are they ready for this kind of a friendship? It just was a whole lot of questions there. Um, and, and a whole lot of sort of potential for, you know, getting hurt saying, you know, I want this and having the person say no. <laughs> and there was some of that. And that's, and I think that's, you know, and the program helped me to understand that when somebody says no, it's not necessarily about me, hmm. that maybe it's about where they are and what they're ready for. And I still wanted to, you know, just sort of run screaming and hide occasionally um, from, but I knew that if if I stayed open, if I didn't close myself off, that, you know, something that, that I would get to a place where, um, it was okay, that it was good. And that without doing that, I would never get there. I think. So, you know, it's, we have this question when you're vulnerable today, do you never get hurt? And the answer is hell no. <laughs> yeah, I get hurt. Um, because without that, Without the possibility of getting hurt, there's also, um, you know, there's no progress. Uh, we, <laughs> no pain, no gain. To you know, quote the cliche, it's it's really true. If if I don't, yeah, I think I've said what I said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Kelly, I was and Spencer, I was wondering since I think we all sort of nodded in agreement when we said, oh yeah, we still totally feel <laughs> pain when we're vulnerable. Sometimes, how do you guys deal with that? How do you guys deal with the the hurt and um, the disappointment? Even, I mean, preparing beforehand to be vulnerable and then dealing with whatever it is after. You know, I think what I heard in Christine's voicemail kind of ties into my response to that. And it's sort of, 
It's definitely the higher power piece. Mm. You know, I think, um, I found it interesting that she, that her voicemail was the first, I think the first time any of us mentioned our higher power in relation to vulnerability mm. and asking for help. That was the second piece that I heard from her. Mm. Um, and those two pieces in conjunction, I think really are what help to deal with the disappointment or the pain or the rejection. Um, because if I, you know, kind of like Spencer said, I mean, it, for so many pieces of this program, I really have to trust that there's a plan, that there's a process and that things are <clears throat> happening for a reason. And vulnerability is the same way, mm-hmm. you know, no risk, no reward is, mm-hmm. is what Spencer said. So that if I don't ever put myself out there, if I don't trust my higher power with, for the willingness to put myself out there, then I'm never going to know what actually is going to happen. You know, it's all going to be speculation and guessing and me assuming this crazy response that I need to be afraid of. Yeah. You know? yep. um, so, and the asking for help piece too, you know, um, so I, I got up the other morning and I, my, so I, my phone was like blown up. I had all these texts from people. Um, one of them was someone that I, I knew from the program here who recently moved away who had texted and said that her partner had relapsed and she didn't know what to do and she had spent the night somewhere else, but, like, what's the next step? And that was really disappointing because when they lived here, things were going pretty well, you know, and it was it it hurt to hear that she was struggling again. Um, and then I also got a text from a sponsee who said, um, her cousin had been picked up for a DUI and resisted arrest. And so he was having lots of consequences mm-hmm. and, um, you know, that she, she didn't know how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, part of, part of my way almost of dealing with the pain of those situations is to be vulnerable and share my experience that relates to that. Things that I've learned in the program of how to deal with similar situations from my side and what worked for me, what didn't work for me. Um, and also the, you know, that piece of, of trusting my sponsor, trusting my supports in the program, um, being of service helps me deal with, you know, my side of the street so that I don't have to sit with the discomfort of that information all day long too. Right. So, yeah. What about you, Spencer? How do you, how do you handle pain and, and, disappointment from from being oh, vulnerable well not well no <laughs> <laughs> um usually um i don't know is there a usually <laughs> sometimes i i can sit with it mm-hmm. um sometimes i sort of rail against the the inhumanity of the universe that would be in this <laughs> place um i pray um, I call supports. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find that, and maybe this is one of just one of my ways of connecting with my higher power. But I find that if I can talk to a support person and say, "This is how I'm feeling," mm-hmm. that it helps to reduce the pain, mm. helps to reduce the hurt. Um, you know, it comes back to we're only as sick as our secrets. Mm-hmm. That when I'm holding it inside, it grows. 
-hmm. It festers. And when I can open it up to, you know, the light of God, maybe through another person, um, I don't, I don't talk too well to God just by himself. And, uh, you know, that helps. I was thinking a little while ago, I, I don't remember who was talking, but I was sitting in church, I think last week, and I was sitting with a friend who was just in town for the weekend and who I didn't even know was going to be there. And we ran into each other as we were walking in and like, oh, hi, you know, hugs and all that. And so we were sitting together with a couple other friends in, in the service and the choir was singing this piece that already was just sort of very emotional, um, beautiful, beautiful piece. I was looking at a friend sitting a couple rows in front with her husband and her son at the point in the piece that was just about ready to, you know, break my heart open. He leaned over and put his arm around his mother. And I don't know. I don't know exactly what I did. I know that there were some tears running down my face, but my friend just put her hand on my knee. Like I see that, that, you know, you're in a little bit of pain and, and I'm just here. And that was all she had to do. Um, it just, it didn't take it away. You know, that, that it wasn't really pain either, but that, that sort of sad, happy feeling, um, that was, that was there for me. And I think, you know, probably brought up things about the relationship that I have with my children right now, my adult children. And, and just that, that human touch, um, just helped to support me through there. So not really about the program, but there it is. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> I really like, uh, I really like the fifth step with, with being vulnerable. And I like kind of sandwiching any vulnerable experience with fifth step. Um, I try to talk to my higher power and, and meditate about whatever it is. And then, I mean, my typical response is usually just to sort of skip over the third, the fifth step says to, um, essentially, talk to your higher power, to yourself and to another human being or discuss your, the exact nature of your wrongs. Um, I like to discuss the exact nature of my vulnerability with uh, those people, but whether it's wrongs or vulnerability or whatever it is, I, I often find myself like skipping over the part where I discuss it with myself. Cause I'm like, whatever, I've got it. I'm doing it myself. Um, but it's really nice for me. I found recently to, after I discuss it with my higher power, because because I'm generally scared out of my mind and talking to my higher power helps. Um, I like to just sit and talk to myself and say whatever it is I'm feeling. I'm feeling really scared because blah, blah, blah. And then saying, saying back to myself, but I'll be there for me. I'll be there to help with whatever happens and I can, and I'll support you. Even if that means reaching out for other support, even when you're scared and, and then reaching out to another person and then saying or do, saying my men, setting my boundary, whatever it is, and then doing that again right after. And I feel really, really supported regardless of whatever the response is because um, I really like catastrophizing even if I do this. And there's some small part of my brain, sometimes a very large part of my brain, that's like, oh, my God, this is going to go so badly. And, um, and uh, then I'll do it. And so even when it goes well, it feels like... Um, 
it feels like, you know, when you're swinging to like punch or hit something and you miss and there's just all this energy that's still there, <laughs> but you're like, where, where is it going? Because it was supposed to go right into whatever is happening. And so like just addressing those feelings again after and just being vulnerable with myself is, um, mm -hmm. is super helpful. That's something that I very, very rarely did, which explains probably why I very, very rarely did it with anybody else. Um, and I guess it went backwards for me when I started the program is I was vulnerable with someone else, then I was vulnerable with my higher power, then I was vulnerable with myself. And now in order for me to be really vulnerable with other people, I have to be vulnerable with myself, my higher power, and then only the other person. And when I do that, it's, um, when I do that, it doesn't, uh, I, I feel like I'm honoring whatever it is that's going on within me, regardless of what's going on outside, regardless of what the other person is saying, nah, or you're wrong. Um, uh, because I, I think for me, the truth has nuances. I can't believe I said that. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's gray area and, uh, progress. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it's just, it's, it's good for me to see and accept my truth and understand that someone else can have their truth and it'll be okay. And uh, doing the fifth step sandwich really helps with that. So I think we're about to hit time. So do you guys have any final thoughts before we close? Any tools or anything? So Tony, who's in the chat room now, mm -hmm. says, okay. I, I had slash have to be vulnerable or else I feel like I am not open to learning from others. It's a form of humility for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to close with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <And> Kelly? <laughs> I feel like I should have some sort of profound thought, but I'm just going to end with this episode was not nearly as painful as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> uh, Proof positive that it's it's good to be vulnerable, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, fifth step sandwich. That's all I have. Um, so after a short break, we're going to continue with our lives in recovery where we talk about our meetings that we attend and what's happening in our lives. We're going to go ahead and play Florence and the Machine, and the song's name is uh, Girl with One Eye. Uh, I really liked the song because uh, while it's a little little bit creepy, as uh, some people pointed out earlier, I think it, it pretty much hits the nail on the head as to how I used to respond before the program when I was vulnerable and then in pain. My response was to just put the other person in more pain. So if they said, I hate you, I'd say, well, I hate you more. So... This is Florence and the Machine with Girl with One Eye. Here we go. She told me not to step on the cracks. I told her not to fuss and relax. Pretty little thing stopped me in my tracks. But now she sleeps with one eye open. That's the price you'll pay I took a knife and cut out her arm I took it home and washed it with a hand Filthy 
In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. Spencer, do you want to start us off? Sure. <laughs> this week, well, one of one of my problems this week is that I got this stupid cold, and that has um, it's forced me actually to work the part of my program about taking care of myself. And as our regular listeners know, um, work for me has been very busy somewhat stressful. This is a minimum of a year and a half long uh, development program that we're in right now, where we're supposed to totally replace a large complicated software system by August of 2014. So I really have to learn to deal with the fact that, you know, this is not a temporary busy, this is not a temporary stress, this is something that is going to be going on for another year mm. and probably longer. Mm-hmm. You know, we have this goal of August of 2014. Uh, we'll see because at the moment it feels like we're behind schedule. So there's all this pressure. And this week, as in many weeks, there was a, uh, some big things happening that involve multiple groups working together, uh, to, uh, accomplish a task. And I felt like, well, the, the, the part of the system that I've been working on recently is definitely central to that task. And I felt like I had to be there. You know, nobody, they couldn't do it without me, right? Mm. We all have those feelings at times, I'm sure. <laughs> and the fact that my body was not cooperating with me in this endeavor forced me to really think about what is it that, quote, only I can do? And what is it that I just want to be there uh, because I want to feel needed or whatever, and but that really somebody else can take care of. So what are the essential things for me to do with the limited amount of energy I've got this week? And basically, I ended up Wednesday and Thursday going in in the morning because the way a cold hits me is I usually feel pretty good for the first several hours of the day. And sometime after lunch, I just sort of really run down and I'm ready to lie on the floor in a puddle if I don't have a bed to lie on or a couch or something. And so knowing that I could go in in the morning, I could get things started. I could get people set up. I could say, this is what we know. What do you know? Tell me what you know. Tell me what we're going to need to do today. And then I could go home and, you know, sleep the afternoon away with some confidence that, that they didn't really need me. It's a tough, tough place to be, man. <clears throat> Want to be needed. And Friday, I got up and I said, I'm not even able to go in this morning. And the program lets me make that decision without feeling like I'm somehow being a bad person. So I was, I was really working that part of my program this week, honestly. And uh, as for meetings, uh, my regular Wednesday home group, uh, it's second, it the second week of the month. And so this year we're talking about a step of the month on the second week. And so we had a lead on step nine, uh, which having just recorded a episode on step nine the day before, I guess we probably all felt kind of ready. Uh, 
um, to, to, <laughs> to hear that. Um, and, uh, what was the, what was the reading on Friday? I don't remember. I think it was about, um, it was sort of about taking care of yourself, wasn't it? And seeing opportunity for recovery in our day to day life. Oh yeah. 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 Taking advantage of every day. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there was this, there was this part of the reading about how at any moment I can say, you know, to the day starts here, the day starts over. And I've been trying to develop an exercise practice, which is, is new for me. And it, I haven't really fit it into my schedule and I haven't figured out where it fits into my schedule. I haven't made it part of my schedule like meetings are now. And so it's very possible for me to go longer than I want between uh, going to the gym and the next time I go, the old me could have said, well, obviously you're failing at this exercise thing. You might as well give up. <laughs> but being able to say, no, I'm starting over here. It doesn't matter that I missed almost a week. I'm going today mm-hmm. is, is a gift. And it's a gift in, in many different parts of my life. And that's, that's a place where, where I'm feeling it right now. So, yeah, that was my week. Kelly? So, um, I went to the Wednesday meeting, and one of my sponsees gave the lead. And, um, you know, it's it's always interesting to see how much people change from working the program. Um, and she, she had talked a little bit about how a couple years ago, when she was asked to do a lead, she sort of obsessed about it for the whole week and wrote out this big long script and planned everything out and was trying to control the outcome, et cetera, et cetera. And she really just kind of had, you know, a reading and her thoughts and she kind of just let her higher power guide her during the lead this time. And it was really great to see that progress in her. And, um, as Spencer mentioned, it was step nine, which, um, we had just covered. So it was, it was interesting to hear even more thoughts, some things that we didn't have the opportunity to discuss or bring up during the podcast. So that was really nice. Um, I did also go to the Friday meeting. Uh, and I also have some sort of variation of this cold thing that's going around. And I don't really remember most of that meeting. Like <laughs> I sort of, I got there and then sort of immediately turned into a zombie. And I knew I needed to be there because I, I just needed to be at a meeting. But um, I, I don't know that I could have contributed successfully <laughs> to that meeting. <laughs> it was rough. Um, and I, I actually was supposed to go to, a friend was having a show, a concert at the Blind Pig, which is a local music venue. And definitely decided that since I was in zombie-like status, uh, going to the show was not a good idea for me. So I'm sad that I missed it because it's a great place to go see bands. And she's awesome. And I knew a lot of friends would be there, but it just was not good for me. Um, the other thing that I've sort of been experiencing this week kind of um, on the periphery is that we have this annual... Um, combined AA Al-Anon Women's Retreat. And I was chosen to facilitate it this year, which sounds really exciting, but really just means that I pick the readings and the speakers. <laughs> That's about it. Everything else sort of does, does itself. But, um, there's, there's been a lot of drama 
surrounding this event already, and it's still two weeks away. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> sometimes I have a lot of faith in this program, right? Like, it's it's done so many positive things for me, and it's amazing, and I love it. And then sometimes you just get to see the the part of people that hasn't yet recovered. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck? You know, like... <laughs> The, this this event normally attracts people who have a lot of long-term recovery and then a few brand new people who are interested in quote-unquote sticking with the winners right so it's a it's often a great group of people and it's a great experience but there's a lot of drama surrounding the fact that this one person is coming and i'm sorry mark but most of the drama is coming from the AA side of things. I don't know if you're still in the chat room, but <laughs> um, it, it's just, I don't know. It's disheartening. It's frustrating. It's sad. Um, it pains me to know that, you know, this, this is a program of recovery where we focus on acceptance and understanding and loving each other and being open to new things. And there are just some people who are having... A, a, sounds like a little bit of a difficult time with this. And, um, <sighs> you know, part of me, I think, is the codependent piece that I, I just want it to go well. You know, like, <laughs> this is my year. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm the person who's supposed to be running this thing. And so, you know, I feel a little bit pressured if it doesn't go well, but, um, I, but I have to stay in my hula hoop and, understand that I can't control everybody that goes to this thing and it's going to be what it's supposed to be. And, uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. <laughs> Yikes. Anyway, that was my week. It will be oh. fine, Kelly. I'm uh, sure. I'm sure it will. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. I will not be going to that retreat this year. Not because of what Kelly just said, but, <laughs> but um, because, uh, because my, a uh, close family member is coming into town and there's going to be a lot of stuff that I want to be present for at that time. And I think if I was away on this retreat, which for a while I was like, well, if they're in town, maybe I should leave. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, welcome to Ann Arbor. I'm going on a retreat now. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, there'd be a week before <laughs> I went on the retreat, but I think a week with this person might be perfect timing for me to you, you would head on out for yeah. like a weekend of, of uh, meetings. Whole weekend. You need some space. I'm just gonna go for a couple days. Yeah, yeah actually, <laughs> just gonna go ahead and leave you here with my partner that you may or may not like at all. And good luck to you, both of you. <laughs> Please try not to set the house on fire. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's not happening. That's no, that's not happening. And I'm happy to report that it's not because I want to stay and control the issue, but rather just stay and be present for my life as opposed to using Al-Anon as a <laughs> way to run away from my life, which would be totally the opposite point of recovery. Um, I am really sad I'm going to miss it, and anybody in the area should totally go. I went last year, and it was amazing. Um, I also went to the Wednesday meeting, and the person that shared, I, I always love hearing this person shares, uh, whether it's a lead or just in a, in a meeting. Um, it, it feels... Whenever this person is sharing, it, it really speaks to me, no matter what it is she's sharing about. And uh, step nine was like, it was really perfect. I I liked I what I heard. <laughs> what I heard from her share was a lot about 
um, that there's a process that everything is like a process. You don't you don't come to meetings and then you're magically cured mm. in the like right then and there. It's not black and white. And um, I I really appreciated that about step nine about the uh, making amends because um, I I keep it, it kept popping up in my head during that meeting uh, that phrase from the Lord's Prayer. Um, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I realized that as I'm able to feel more compassion for myself and be more present for myself and make different amends to myself than I used to make in the past, um, sometimes more amends than I used to make in the past, <laughs> um, I'm able to see what uh, what could be on my ninth step this time around when I rework the steps. Um, the first time I did my eighth and ninth step, I wanted it all to be done like at that moment. And then I'd never have to do an eighth and ninth step. I could just do a 10th step. <laughs> um, but that's apparently not going to happen because I already am like anticipating these, um, as I'm growing and changing, I'm understanding what amends I need to make. Things are just surfacing and it's a process. And, uh, which is why you don't have to work the steps just one time. When I was working the steps the first time, my sp sponsor would tell me regularly that, this isn't the last time you're going to work the fourth step. This isn't the last time you're going to work whatever step. And I would keep thinking to myself, not if I can help it. <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't help it. I'm going to be working the steps again. She was right, as usual. Um, the Friday meeting, it was the, it was the same meeting that uh, Kelly and Spencer went to. I really liked the reminder that in any situation, I mean, for me, what I heard was that in any situation that you could, it's a it's a, a program opportunity. Um, we use that phrase "afflow," another fucking learning opportunity. Mm. And for whatever reason, in that in that moment in the meeting, I thought "afro," another fucking recovery opportunity. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Afro. Um, because they were like say, talking about how everything is an opportunity to practice program or uh, opportunity to grow in your program. And um, and that was that was a really nice reminder. Um, and then last night I went to an open talk that was it was really fun. I, I really I really liked um, hearing this person person's share. Um, I, I really like going to open talks, not just because, um, I feel more compassion for other people in my life when I hear someone get up on stage and tell me their life story, vulnerability, greater trust. Mm, right. Yeah. Bringing it back to the episode. Um, but also because I often hear my story in very unlikely places. Um, and, and it reminds me that, uh, just because a person isn't like telling me their entire life story when we're interacting, it doesn't mean that um, that there isn't an opportunity for compassion. There isn't something there that I could really relate to. And then, and so that just reminds me to stay in my hula hoop, um, allow the other person to be vulnerable, allow myself to be vulnerable by staying in my hula hoop instead of trying desperately to change the other person. And yeah, that was it. Um, that was a great talk. That was, it was a really good talk. And so our topic next week will be living rich, full lives in recovery. 
We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Please leave a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or questions about living rich, full lives. Does a life in recovery sound limiting? Are you unsure of what activities, events, etc. from your previous life will fit into your new life of recovery? Does living a rich, full life sound selfish when your loved ones are still suffering from addiction? What tools have you learned that allow you to live your own life today? Uh, if any of these questions speak to you, definitely uh, join us for our episode next week. Kelly, how can people send us feedback? Well, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Just put the podcast on pause and join the conversation at 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. And if you prefer not to use your voice... You can send us an email, which we get a lot of, and it's awesome. Send that to feedback at com. Uh, we do love to hear from you. We want you to share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of vul- vulnerability, or next week's topic of living rich, full lives in recovery. And if you have a topic that you'd like us to talk about, let us know. <laughs> If you're hearing funny noises there, it's because uh, my dog is dreaming and kicking the table in his dreams. Poor Jake. Um, okay, so let us know. And Spencer, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Hey, you can go to the website. Um, that's therecoveryshow.com, where we have all the information about the show. We have notes for each episode. We have a blog with uh, mostly daily meditations. <laughs> Uh, because, you know, we're not perfect. Links to the music that we play and a page to which we periodically post recordings of open talk speakers. We've got a few links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like, and there are lots of ways to contribute uh, that you can get to through the website. You can leave comments uh, on blog posts. You can look at our suggested topic list and... Uh, say, yeah, I want to hear about that topic. Or if you don't see a topic you'd like us to cover, please let us know and uh, we'll uh, we'll do what we can. We're always looking for music suggestions. That's one of the hardest parts of putting together one of these episodes is, is picking the music. So, and daily meditations, too. And daily meditations, absolutely. If you've got an idea for meditation or if you'd like to write a meditation, please. oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we're right there. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be up the next day. It will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so just go read some of them. You'll see what's there, what uh, what format we do. Yeah, so just hop on over to the recovery co- therecoveryshow.com and enter the conversation there. Kelly, do we have any voicemails, emails, or comments this week? We actually have several. But first, we're going to take another break, and you guys get to listen to a song called Have a Little Faith in Me by John Hyatt. It just really spoke to me. Definitely uh, speaks to vulnerability and also um, was in one of my favorite movies as a teenager. It's a movie called Benny and June. And if you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. It's a really cute story. And uh, yeah, enjoy the song. When the road gets dark And you can no longer see Just let my love Throw a spark And have a little faith in me And when the tears you cry 
Just give these loving arms a try, baby And have a little faith in me And have a little faith in me And have a little faith in me So we do have some uh, listener feedback. Uh, we're going to start off with the emails. Kelly, do you want us to do you want to start us off? Absolutely. So Barbara left comment on the website, and she says, "When I first came in and began working the steps, I wanted so badly to have a big." clear the air ninth step discussion with my older son, who was very, very new in his own recovery. We were beginning to speak in a new language and both being healed after so much pain and destruction. <laughs> what a shock When I brought it up, he really cut me off. He did not want to hear me then. Oh, mom, you were great. That's This is all about me, is what he said. So I dropped the subject. I think that my need to go over my part came from a, a still unhealthy place, and for me to just honor his refusal was where it needed to stay until until both of us were ready. You know, maybe the willingness is often where we just leave it with God. Sometimes just being willing is walking in the courage to change the things I can. Hey, and I already asked for the wisdom to do that. That's a really great point, Barbara. Yeah. It doesn't 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 have to go that stereotypical expectation route of what we think a ninth step should be. Mm-hmm. Spencer, do you want to read the next one? Right. Yeah, this one is from Riley. He writes, Hi, guys. How are you doing? I'm emailing from Sioux Lookout, northwestern Ontario, Canada. Way north of us. Wow. Just started listening to your podcast this summer. I've found it to be incredibly helpful as an aid to my own recovery. I've been in the Al-Anon program for only about a year and a half, so it's always good to have frequent access to materials like your podcast for when I can't physically get to a meeting or just to get extra serenity when I really need it. Swetha, I relate to so much of what you say, and I absolutely love your transparency. You mentioned once in the podcast on self-esteem that you always felt you had to beat yourself down out of fear that you would get cocky and your self-esteem would get out of control. It was like you were in my head. I've never met anyone else who understood that. Talk about control issues. It's as if I feel that I can control what is going on outside of me by beating myself up or something. It was a huge realization. A light bulb went on. Thanks for sharing. It's always so insightful to hear others that you can relate to. I learned so much from you all. I was wondering... If any of you have ever listened to Alanis Morissette in connection with recovery, I'm pretty sure that she has participated in a 12-step program, and it is very obvious in listening to the lyrics of a lot of her songs. I did not notice this until I came into recovery myself, but listening to her music I find so helpful and encouraging. She makes indirect reference to a lot of having grown up with some abuse and or addiction. I myself am the adult child of an alcoholic family, so I can relate to much of what she says. She's amazing. There are many, so many good songs. But I want to encourage you to share the song Precious Illusions on the podcast. It is about coping mechanisms that we develop over many years that we have to let go of to move on. But sometimes it can be like letting go of a best friend that we have been close to for a long time, though that friend is only an illusion. The chorus goes, 
This won't work as well as the way it once did because I want to decide between survival and bliss. These previous precious illusions in my head did not let me down when I was defenseless and parting with them is like parting with a childhood best friend. If you haven't listened to Alanis closely and are in recovery, I would greatly recommend it. Please keep doing what you're doing. I love the show and so look forward to hearing you all each week. Take good care. Riley from Canada. Thanks for that shout out, Riley. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I'm so glad you pointed out that you felt the same way because I think I shared and then I was like, oh crap, am I the only one in the whole wide world? And uh, that, was, that was really nice. You're the nice. first one to ever feel that way. So <laughs> first and last. Okay, let's. <laughs> and uh, I don't think we've ever used Alanis, have we? I use her a lot in daily meditations. Oh, do you? Okay. Okay. I thought we used thank you for something. We did. Oh, yes, you're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. but she is great. She we'll is. have to pull, pull out some more of her stuff. Yeah. Um, we got another, uh, oh, thank you so much for your, for email, Riley, if I oh, haven't and, said that already. And actually, um, you know, I wrote back to him and funny, I went I and looked at the her. lyrics for Precious mm -hmm. Illusions and the, the first verse really like lays out some of those illusions about, well, for me, it spoke to the way in which I sometimes want other people to make me happy, other people to make me complete, other people to, you know, rescue me, if you will. Because it starts out, you'll rescue me, right? In the exact same way they never did. I'll be happy, right? When your healing powers kick in, <laughs> you'll complete me, right? Then my life can finally begin. I'll be worthy, right? Only when I realize the gem I am. And so that moves from, mm. you know, needing somebody else to, oh, it's really about me. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Um, so we also got a email from Lee. Uh Lee's email reads, I have just discovered your show. I'm working on step eight. Although I'm an addict, not an anon, I know <laughs> our core negative beliefs and work has enough carryover that I decided to have a listen. I got so much out of the episode. I've gone back and downloaded all the step work and many topic-oriented episodes so that I can improve my own work. Thanks so much for your honesty and effort. I don't know if my anon will ever begin a program, but if they do, the recovery show will be of great help. Keep having fun. Thanks, Lee. And thanks so much for your uh, email, Lee. Actually, this reminds me from from uh, the open talk last night where the speaker gave a shout out to the Alan program. That was really good. Yeah, I actually had some some good dialogue back and forth through email with Lee too, and he suggested a topic for us that um, we'll, we'll have to discuss to see. It's it kind of crosses over into the sponsorship episode, but. Um, uh, sort of on the idea of struggling with sponsees um, when they don't stick with the program or when it doesn't work out mm -hmm. and how, how that affects you. So we'll have to talk about that. But yeah, thank you, Lee. Well, I'll have to listen to that program. And then we also did. heard from Cecily mm -hmm. and she responded. She's a frequent contributor here. She responded to the suggestion that we address domestic violence. Oh, yeah. And she says, I think it is a very good topic. It should definitely be researched and then discussed on the show. On a side note, Spencer, when you said you've got no experience with domestic violence, I was surprised because the time when you talked about yelling and scaring your daughter made me think, wow, that was so brave of him to admit that on the podcast. So now I am thinking it would really be beneficial to look a little deeper into this issue. When we learn more about domestic violence, we'll find out that its definition includes yelling and scaring the kids. Go figure. <laughs> my qualifier is a doctor, and he yelled and threw some things and scared my daughter. She was about 16 when that happened. He apologized and said it was okay, no big deal. 
she thought I was making too much of it at the time, so I dropped the subject. However, and quite unfortunately, that event did make a big impression on her, so much so that from her 18th birthday to this day, she is now 24, she refuses to see a doctor at all, period, for any reason whatsoever. She is angry with all of medicine, and she could really use some care at this point in her life. I'm not able to make any difference on this topic with her at this time, and fortunately, I did leave the relationship just recently, so I hope there will be some healing for her on this at some point. Anyway, everyone is different and reacts differently to events, so there may be no residual for your family as things have changed for you all. I bet we would all be surprised and learn a great deal by digging into this topic a little more. With love and respect for all of you, Cecily. Yeah, and... uh you know, I wrote back to Cecily and said, well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for uh, encouraging me to be honest with myself um, and to be honest with you. And there have been some, I think, there have been some lasting effects. Um, and maybe we'll talk about it some more. And I, I'm not ready to talk about it right now on the show, but okay. we had... Um, uh, Kimberly uh, left a comment about uh, You Are Not Alone by Mavis Staples. So the first time I heard this song, it overpowered me. Mavis is so amazingly and achingly beautiful. The lyrics of this song lift me up every time I hear it. Thank you for your show. It helps on the days I can't get to a meeting and need one. Mm-hmm. And I know we posted a link to that. To the well, it's on the it's on the music music suggestions page. There's a link to a YouTube video. And it was, I think we posted it at one of the episodes. I don't remember which one now. Also, um, Charlene uh, recently wrote to us. She had written to us uh, congratulating us on the uh, One Day at a Time issue uh, episode that we all had felt, wow, we were not totally there when we were recording it for one reason or another. We were tired or we were wired or whatever was going on. And and then she wrote and said, wow, this was like best episode ever. <laughs> and, and so I think Kelly wrote back and said, gee, thanks. Uh, you know, we were all feeling like we kind of blew it and it wasn't nearly as good because of this and that and the other thing. And, and, uh, anyway, she wrote back and, and said, it's nice to get a glimpse of the humanity that shines through every now and then in the shows. Mm. There are real live human beings behind all that incredible work. And then just yesterday, um, I was taking care of myself and lying in bed listening to All Songs Considered podcast. And the episode that I was listening to, I think it's the most recent one still, had Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic uh, from Nirvana. They were talking about the 20th anniversary reissue of In Utero. And, you know, they covered a whole bunch of topics all over the place. But uh, Dave Grohl said something that really um, reminded me of of Charlene's observation about, you know, showing our humanity. And I just want to play this little clip from, from that interview. One of the reasons why an album like in utero still sounds fresh today is because it's the sound of three people. Like it really is. It's there's imperfection and inconsistency. You know, we didn't scrub it up and polish it and clean it up and hand it to you. We recorded it sometimes only once. And then, decided that's what you needed to hear because um because it's 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 real in that way and so yeah the sound of three people and we don't 
polish it much. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's real. And I just felt um, a little bit of, uh, I don't know, confirmation or something hearing that. Yeah, I, f- I feel like we've gotten a lot of listener comments on that fact, that mm-hmm. they appreciate the fact that we don't edit everything out and that we do goof sometimes and that we say um and things like that. And it reminds me of, you know, that we had put this reminder at the beginning and the end of our script that says, remember, it doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> and we would always read that to ourselves at the end of each episode. Um And it's, you know, because I think we wanted it to be the best that it could be for anyone who was out there listening. And it's it's great to get confirmation to know that people appreciate that it isn't perfect. So thank you. Okay. Um, we don't have any new iTunes reviews this week. I just want to put out the reminder that iTunes reviews and ratings do help to make us easier to find by those who are in need who are seeking recovery. And so we appreciate all of the reviews that we get. And if you're concerned about your anonymity, because iTunes shows some kind of username when you post a review, you can give us a rating, which does help. Uh, bring us up in the in the rankings uh, without writing a review, and then your name is not shown. A little bit of uh, news here, uh, as the uh, our loyal listeners who are still in the chat room know, you can listen live while we're recording. Uh, you just click on the Listen Live link at the top of the page, and while you're listening, you can interact with us and other listeners in the chat room. To get there, you need to click on the little speech bubble icon that's at the bottom edge of the player. If you just want to listen, you can listen right there. Unless you're on, like, iPhone or iPad or something, in which case you need an app. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a couple of things, a couple of events coming up here in southeastern Michigan in the Ann Arbor Detroit area that uh, we are planning to participate in, at least as far as attending. On uh, Tuesday, September 24th, there'll be a showing of the new documentary, The Anonymous People, which is about, I think the tagline says, the 23.5 million people in America who are living lives in long-term recovery. And there is um, a trailer, which I think we played a couple weeks ago, Mm -hmm. uh, should be in the show notes for that episode, probably 39. So if you go to therecoveryshow.com slash 39, uh, you can see the trailer. And that will be playing in Ann Arbor on Tuesday, September 24th. And I think some details are linked from, from there also. And then um, our uh, sister podcast, uh, Recovered, has been uh, announcing this event for a while. The uh, Canton Candlelight uh, AA group at the uh, PC Alano Club in Canton, Michigan, will be celebrating their fifth anniversary on uh, Thursday, September 26th. And if you listen to Recovered at all, you know some of the people who are going to be there. And uh, at least some of us, I think, are planning to attend that as well. So, hey, come on out, meet us in person. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $40 a month. You can help to support us and keep us in the web, on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. In the web. (laughs) In the web and on your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Jonathan did. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, you can order anything from Amazon using the search box at the bottom of the books page. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening to us. We are here for you. And we're going to close the show with the song Criminal by Fiona Apple. And, uh, 
the lyrics here that speak to me, some of the lyrics that speak to me of vulnerability. What I need is a good defense because I'm feeling like a criminal. And I need to be redeemed to the one I've sinned against because he's all I ever knew of love. And if you watch the video, she just looks extremely vulnerable throughout the whole video. It's, it's almost uncomfortable um, to watch in that, in that way. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so that we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. Come, oh, help me if I don't tell me to deny.